Welcome to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, a weekly podcast designed to educate the listener on Kentucky horse racing and handicapping. And now, here are your hosts, CC Broadus. You're going to have a hard time getting me off of Tis the Law in this spot. Alan Schneider. He was fast. And Brandon Jaggers. Are we on race five? Okay, welcome back. This is episode six of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. It's for the weekend of June 27th, 2020. We're here to celebrate the 39th running of the Stephen Foster Handicap at Churchill Downs this weekend. And I'm joined by my co-host, as always, the lusty Alan Schneider. I am indeed lusty. How you doing, buddy? Very good. Also joined by the brain himself, Brandon Jaggers. The weekend warrior. Well, guys, uh, the Belmont Stakes was run last Saturday, and it was uh, it was chalky on the top end. Tis the law came through at uh, at low odds, and and he was a uh, resounding winner. I think he won by about three lengths in the end. Uh, he wins the first jewel of the reverse triple crown, <laughs> and now he will point toward the Travers in early August, and and then go to the Kentucky Derby after that. He earned a buyer of 100 for his win in the Belmont. He got a rag of five, and then he got a thoroughgraph of one half, which that last number, I know he backed up a little bit off of his peak efforts in uh, in early in the year. So going forward, there's a chance that we might we might view him a little bit differently. He may be – he. it's possible that he, he peaked. You know, he, he's obviously at the head of the class right now, but there's a long way to go between now and the Kentucky Derby. So – uh, Alan, you crushed the Belmont with your suggestions last week. Uh, you suggested 15 to win in place on Dr. Post. Now he did get second, but you did come back and say, I want to box tis the law on Dr. Post. So that was, uh, that was a good result for you, right? It was okay. It wasn't a great payoff or whatever. I'm, I'm happy the way both horses ran. Tis the law was just an easiest of winners. Very impressive. I thought Dr. Post did indeed run real well. She, uh, the horse closed the way I kind of anticipated she might, he might, I'm sorry, but uh, no getting to the winner. So it wasn't a resounding payday unless you hit the super like I did. And, uh, but it was still fairly solid. And I was happy that it came out. To, you know, when you see, when you see things come in the way you think they're going to come in, it's always a little reassuring. So Dr. Post earned a two thoroughbred, and that was a big jump. <laughs> He strikes me as the type of horse that probably wants to go further. He, mile and a quarter might be right for the alley. He may want to go longer, like a big grinding type. Oh, I'd agree with that. Yeah, he, he's like the race, so there's there's probably a lot of improvement uh, left. Uh, he, he'll have a say probably in, in the races later this fall and definitely next year. Yeah, Brandon, that's only his uh, fourth fourth career start, if I'm not mistaken. Third, fourth career start. Right, I think you're right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there there's there should be improvement on the horizon for him definitely. Uh, Brandon, you were on uh, uh, the Cassie horse tap it to win. I think he checked in fifth. Uh, any any complaints on the on the trip? You know, the, he did everything I I thought he would do. You know, take the pace, go out. I think he just didn't have enough rest in between the last race. Got tired and he faded back. But uh, so my fifty dollar win play was dead. 
I did hit the, the, the little dime super, which is one of my favorite bets. Uh, thanks to our colleague Alan here with Dr. Post, I included. So I think on the dime, it paid you 66 bucks. So that's a really good result. Uh, if you had a base wager of $2 and 40 cents, but, um, you know, I, I knew it, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to always play to beat them, but man, tis the law is, uh, if this is allowed, tis the shit. <laughs> we'll check on the sensors. Yeah, we'll check we'll the sensors. We'll run that by the FCC, but, uh, <laughs> uh, earlier on the card, we uh, we got to see the uh, the emergence of a really really nice talented three year old filly named Gammon or Gamine depends on how you want to say it. Uh, it's a daughter of Into Mischief. She won the Acorn Stakes with a plum, as the kiddos say. Uh, she's she's no doubt at the top of the three year old filly class now. She ran a buyer of one ten, a rag of two, and her thoroughgraph was a negative three. That's I I don't have the stats in front of me. But that's probably the fastest that a that a three year old has run this year. I mean that that number there would win a lot of Kentucky Derbies in the past. So this filly's got some serious talent. Now the question is, can she stretch it out? And the second question is, will they attempt to go to the Derby, or will they stick to the Kentucky Oaks? So, Alan, do you have any uh have anything to to add to uh, the performance by Gammy? Well, well, first off, those numbers are amazing uh, for a horse. That's her fourth start, perhaps. I mean, third, fourth start. Uh, she won by diminishing nose last time against uh, Speech. If that tells you anything about Speech, of course, uh, that may have been just a prep for the Acorn. She blew a hole in the wind in the Acorn. That was that was unreal. Um, she may have ran right by Swiss Skydiver as well, too, uh, theoretically. Uh, I think they probably tried the Derby with her, but, of course, getting uh, – Baffert getting them to the Derby this year has been easier said than done. Uh, but what was the margin of victory? 18, 19 lengths. I mean, it felt like it felt like that. Um, I, I think the horse has an amazing amount of potential. If Baffert can you know, keep her together, we'll see. But he's had that much luck with that so far this year. But ultra impressive, ultra impressive. Brandon, should they point this filly to the uh, Kentucky Derby? Uh They've got time. They got time to think about it. They got something that, you know, breaking track records and and setting those types of precedences. It, it is very uh, interesting. Or they stay in their they stay in their lane. They don't switch over to the boys, and uh, they'll still do great with this horse. I didn't really expect that type of effort, and I didn't get to see the full stretch. I didn't watch a lot of the replays. Of, of if the jockey stayed on her, but I don't think he did. I don't think I ever saw one time a whip. So uh, I I'm, could be mistaken though, but uh, just a great performance. It was, it was really fun to watch. Now, earlier on the undercard uh, featured a lounge race, a filly named Indian pride was making her four-year-old debut for Chad Brown. Uh, the filly she defeated is a really nice filly named Mrs. Danvers for Shug McGahee. Don't really like to point out the losers on the on the undercard allowance races, but this filly struck me as a as a horse that has a bright future. She's a she's definitely a Kentucky Oaks prospect in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, in her first start back, she ran a she ran a six and a half on thoroughbred, which paired up her two year old top, and that's usually a good sign for a, for a big effort next time. So here's my recommendation: you know wherever this filly shows up next, you, you need to better, you need to follow her because I think. Uh, 
I think she's got a big move coming. Uh, you know, she'll probably be three to five, four to five, even money wherever she shows up next. Uh, I don't know what Chug's got planned for her, but that's, this is a feeling you need to follow. I think uh, first weekend of uh, September, I think we're going to hear from Mrs. Danvers. So we're going to we're going to turn the page and talk a little about Kentucky Derby contenders. And there was a uh, a horse uh, on the other side of the world that uh, turned some heads. Over the weekend, this horse's name is Cafe Pharaoh。これは外から爆破の真ん中15番北の奥戸バスか追い込んできました。後方から大外1番デュードバンの追い込み。前は抜け出して16番のカフェファラオ。残り200を切って2番審3番審と差を広げていく。2番タルスイ
that this filly ran off and 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 left the competition and and she like we said before this this filly looks like she has a has a future and brandon i know you're thrilled about the progression of this horse uh tell us about your day on sunday well you know i, I left the lake and and on the way back i'm driving and i get a text message saying hey we're off the turf and i'm like ah i would have loved to have seen a turf race on a sunday at churchill you know and what I mean by saying is I, I got an extra uh, pass to get in and see the race in person through the ownership group since we are a syndicate to be the, the second lad, so to speak. So I carried in and and little did I know because I was driving for so long that, you know, three quarters of the field scratched, including <laughs> also eligibles, main track only. I mean, that 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 race had, I think, 18 entries, 12 you know, was the max and we had six kind of sitting outside for scratches. And then, uh, I mean, I was thrilled to see that because, you know, obvious reasons. And, but we did have one, one or two, uh, horses that I thought that could still challenge us. Uh, they didn't. And, uh, we prevailed and I'll tell you, it was, it was bittersweet being at Churchill when it was so quiet, uh, no one else around. Versus, you know, being there when people are around and being in a winter circle, the the feeling wasn't quite there. But, uh, I mean, the the true feeling of winning was was awesome. She did great. She was never asked. But, you know, Sean never showed her the whip and uh, just under a hand ride the whole time. I I hate to say one to two is not really what I play, but uh, I'll take my 20 bucks uh, for my bet. And, you know, <laughs> go on to the next. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, what do we do next? And, and Brad uh, definitely wants to, to keep trying the grass if we can get the grass. But now that we know that she can win on, you know, she broke her maid on grass and now she's, she's won on slop. So, you know, it was a, I can't say it's an easy win. You know, you all like to talk about the rag thing and uh, which is the metric of how a horse performs on the track. And she got a 13. So not a two, not a five, not a seven, but a 13. So we think she's still meant for the grass. We want to point her in that direction. And I do want to add that we did have our our other syndicate horse called Tappy Gal actually enter at Indiana on Tuesday the 30th. And she came third at Keeneland in a, in a maiden claim $150,000 level going seven furlongs. Does she was a six furlong horse at the time. But we haven't seen her in seven months racing. She's been training up there, posting decent work. You know, that track's not very fast. And, well, at least that's what they tell me. And uh, we did drop her in for a claim tag of 5000 So uh, her morning line was set at 1 to 5. Uh, <laughs> wow. We couldn't, find her, <laughs> we, could, we, we couldn't find a race, you know, to get her in. And uh, we're happy to to get her in that race and she'll, uh, we feel like she'll win. We'll collect a purse. She gets claimed, she, you know, that's, that's the name of the game. It's kind of how it goes. Somebody could be getting a steal out there. I don't know. I forget everything. I, I don't care about the race anymore. I want to talk about the shirt. I look on <laughs> my screen. I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, somebody's house and I'm, I've got the, uh, the, my cell phone pulled up and I'm watching the paddock and I see this, ridiculous t-shirt that somebody's wearing that's got their face brandished on both sides of it i'm just curious uh yeah what led to the decision to wear the shirt 
in the paddock? Well, that, that came from a, a gag gift I got one year only because I saw it. Somebody else had it on a Facebook post and I said it and my, my dear, my dear girl, Sarah bought it and had it arranged for as a Christmas gift uh, a couple of years back. And so I, I thought, what better to wear it in a place where you can't have your face exposed than Churchill Downs on the race day? So I could say, that's me. You know, it's not a bobblehead, <laughs> but yeah, it was just pretty funny. And so I, I kind of questioned it at first because I was like, I don't know the rules for these types of things. They don't really talk about all that. And so I wore a, a button-down shirt and uh, long sleeves. But, boy, it got hot after the rain. And I mean, it was like high 80s, a lot of humidity. And um, and so I ended up throwing it off. I talked to Brad Cox about it. He goes, I don't care. It works. And then uh, I got to wear it. So I thought it was funny, classic. Some of my little Facebook group, uh, horse racing groups, I've gotten over like a couple hundred likes. And, you know, people think I'm crazy, but I thought it was perfect timing. <laughs> well, you do realize now that you won you won with the with the shirt. You've got to wear it from now on. Every time you go, every time one of your horses race, you have you have to you have to don the shirt. Is that correct? I, I will try. It doesn't breathe right in the summer. It's a little too thick for me. I don't know what it's made out of. But I will try. But I will say, you know, we are proud of, of Dream a Little Dream of You. She's now a winner of over $100,000. And we're going to keep her going. You know, I think the next next time we'll see her, you know, I, it depends on what the horse shows us. But Brad's going to point her in another four or five weeks to the turf, something on the turf. Now, you all know what could be coming up in four or five weeks. Ella Stakes. I could see an Ella Stakes on the turf, perhaps, down the road. That's a thought. <laughs> well, I, I may be thinking was Kentucky Downs. It's a oh, little yeah. bit more of a stretch, you know. A lot uh, more money. Through, yeah, but a lot more money. So uh, that that would be fun. I, I think she would have a, uh, you know, it would be a thrill. I've still never seen a, a race there in person. So, uh, but, you know, the horse will always tell us, and, and we let Brad take us to the winner's circle. So that's what we trust. Well, we're winding down here to the end of the Churchill Downs meet. And Ellis Park does start next weekend. Uh, guys, I just want to have a short discussion on uh, on the the abbreviated Churchill Downs meet. Uh, Alan, what what have you learned, uh, or what are you going to take out of, out of the six weeks of racing going forward into Ellis and and possibly Saratoga? What what uh, what have you seen that stands out? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I thought the the meet overall, and maybe I'm biased because I had a pretty good meet. Uh, is it was, I thought it was a formful meet to be honest. And nothing, I was thinking about it today, and there's only like maybe one horse that truly shocked me that won all meet. And that was the Ravinio by Nick Zito, and he won that maiden claimer. Uh, n- nothing else has really thrown me that much. Um, some of the things to take away, uh, Tyler Gaffleon, I thought, rode excellently all meet. Uh, I mean, he was giving his horses perfect rides. Um, I don't. Asmussen has debuted some nice two-year-olds. Mark Cassie hasn't won much, but he had a really, really nice two-year-old. I'm assuming those guys are meant for Saratoga. Uh, I guess you could maybe even get one in one of these Ellis two-year-old stakes coming up. Um, moving forward, I think I think you're going to see a lot of these Churchill horses move on to Ellis, move on to Saratoga, obviously, and uh, perform well. I, I mean, the weather was good all meet. Horses got to run the turf. 
Um, I mean, I, I thought they did a pretty nice job for the abbreviated six week kind of an emergency thrown together meet. I thought they did pretty well, to be honest with you. How about you? you any takes from that? Well, Gaffley on became a man this meet. I mean, he did. He, yeah, he 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 was really turned in some really nice rides. And then you, I think you need to give a, a shout out to Lannery. Lannery woke up in the last two weekends. He he was riding like his shirt tails on fire. Uh, turned in some really really aggressive rides and and took some chances and and you know he he th- I've got the stats here through today excuse me through Sunday I don't have today's yet but uh, Lannery closed to within six wins of Gaffleyone so it, it was a good meet turned in by both riders uh, Brandon uh, Brad Cox with the help of your filly has uh, has won 15 races on the meet 15 out of 62. Uh, he lead he led Steve Asmussen by four. I don't think either one of those won a race today, but uh, and, and I think Asmussen's loaded for the weekend. But I, but uh, Brad Cox had a really a really nice meet again here at Churchill Downs. Yeah, he he always yeah well positioned at Churchill. I'd love to see Owen Dell win uh, the Stephen Foster, which we'll talk about later. Uh, uh, you know. I, where do we where, where do we learn? You know, I thought a lot of the connections, just the positive connections that, you know, when Maker and Gaffleone or, you know, just jockey trainer end up pairing up. I just thought that was great. I, I really like to see Brendan Walsh really perform. I thought he did great as well. Um, he was a lot of fun. And then I thought, uh, you know, how do you how do you go on to Ellis from here? I, I never saw Brett Calhoun with my Brett bomb. Where's my Brett bomb? I never saw it. So, you know, what does that mean? Maybe he's going to be turning the corner. Maybe there's some time, but you know, Craig, you're my Ellis partner there. And I mean, I think you sleep on the backside most nights. And so, you know, <laughs> does he race a big string there? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. He'll run a few. I mean, he, yeah, yeah he'll probably split between Indiana and Ellis. Uh, and then he runs a bunch in Texas too, I think. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll hear from him from Ellis though. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Ellis, yeah. it opens next Thursday for a short four day weekend and then, uh, action shifts to Keeneland and then back to Ellis. But, uh, I'm always sad to see the Churchill Downs meet close, but, uh, I, as most people know, I really love Ellis park. I, I try to he make does. it down. Yeah, I try to make it down there once a year. I just love the place. It's it's like a, it's like a racetrack in my hometown. You know, that's that's the kind of track that I would spend all my time at. It's it's nothing elaborate about it. It's not fancy by any stretch. It's just a it's just a cool place. Well, cool is not the right word. It's usually 97 and and, and pretty humid <laughs> down there. But it's uh it's it's a it's a nice place to spend the weekend. I, I enjoy Evansville and the Henderson area, and I usually get a get a hotel room in Evansville and, and then, and then ride over early on in the car or early in the day on, uh, on Saturday and Sunday and, and then soak up as much as I can. Brandon, you ever been to Ellis? One time on the drive back from St. Louis and it is not on the drive back from St. Louis. It's like another 50 miles off the beaten path to get back to Louisville. But I think maybe our podcast is going to shoot some live video out there one day. Oh, yeah. do a live session. I think that's going to be in the works. So uh, hopefully our listeners stay tuned. It's the only track that is in Kentucky, but not in Kentucky. That's the way I put it. it, it and, he's right. <laughs> but, yeah, you're, you're 100% correct. It's the, only, it's the only piece of land in Kentucky that is north of the Ohio River. 
And that's but, something, yeah, something to do with how the Ohio River shifted at some point. And, and now, and now Ellis Park is uh, north of the Ohio <laughs> River. So there's your, there's your fun fact for the day. Uh, yeah, so we, we're going to cover uh, Ellis next week. Don't worry, this won't be our last podcast. We're not closing down just because Churchill's done for the summer or for the spring. But, uh, uh, you know, just a few notes on the Ellis Park meet. The, the Ellis Park Derby is on August 9th. It's a $200,000 race, mile and eighth. It's going to be a, uh, a Kentucky Derby prep this year, believe it or not. I think the winner go- is going to get 50 points. So th- this race could could affect the field of the Derby going forward. And uh, that's that should be an exciting day. Also on that date, uh, the, the groupie doll and, and, and the two uh, baby races uh, will, will join the, the Ellis Park Derby on that card. And then uh, a week before that on the 2nd, is the uh, Kentucky Downs preview day, and they're going to have five hundred thousand dollars stakes races on the grass, and that's usually that's going to be a pretty good card. That's always a good card. Yes, it yeah. really is. Get some good betting opportunities there. So there's a lot to look forward to. Lots of baby races at Ellis. Usually, uh, usually the local trainers debut some nice horses at the meet, and it's uh, it's it's just a fun meet in my opinion. I I, I enjoy it uh, immensely. I agree with that. Uh, CC 100%. If you haven't been to Ellis, folks, it's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, I don't say family atmosphere, farm atmosphere, but it's good racing in the middle of a, a farm. It feel it feels like, and we'll say out in the middle of nowhere, but it's it's a it's a fun place to go. It's very casual, and I hope everybody gets a chance to make it up there at some point if you're out that out that way out towards Western Kentucky. All well, right. I think that's, from Louisville, it's it's only about two hours. It's about two about two, two ten, I'd say. Two ten, yeah. So not a bad drive at all. Like going to Indiana Grand almost. <laughs> all right, guys, let's uh, let's turn our attention to, now to the Saturday card. This is Stephen Foster Saturday. It's the 39th running of the Stephen Foster Handicap, and it's accompanied by a, a handful of uh, other stakes races. And it's a uh, all in all, it's a, it's a great card. Uh, very much looking forward to this date. I wish I could be there. Uh, it's always fun time. Usually come out uh, ahead on this night because uh, uh, usually the the cream of the crop rises on 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 this evening. Let's uh, let's take a look early on race two. Brandon, I think there's a horse that you like in race two. Well, this is a unique angle. <laughs> I was ready for race one, but. Uh... You know, when, when you're running a claiming level and the conditions to, on Saturday is probably going to be around 90 degrees. Do you all know the weather? I do not, but, take, I, but keep talking and I'll a, find it. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to take a guess. It's going to be hot because we've had such a, a mild day or a mild week here. Uh, I think the number three, he's a 10-year-old gelding, but I'm telling you, one of the oldest uh, handicappers I know taught me a trick. If, if it's 90 plus and the horses are between the ages of five and 10 years old, they, <laughs> they seem to run like crazy when it's hot, like super hot. So, I, I you know, and plus I've always followed this horse a long time. Hockerman number three at five to one. We got Miggy Mana on him. Uh, I just think the world of this connection, really, Wesley Hawley, the position of this race, you know, drops back in for a tag at 20. I think he's got a big effort here, and I, I'm I'm going to watch. I can't wait to see him run. I know he's 10 years old, but I'm telling you, they love the heat. Then, obviously, there's there's Frost or Fribbery. 
you cannot deny Brad Cox, a seven-year-old gelding as well. So, but, you know, the conditions he's ran in, he's already ran at Churchill one, optional claim for 10. You know, that's a, you got to step up here to, to catch my Hockelman. Hawakum. 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 Saturday, it's going to be 83 degrees. It'll be a 40% chance of uh, thunderstorms. Well, uh, all right. Never mind. Yeah. That was my angle. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like your horse, Hawakum. He's a, he's a classy old guy. Now, I will, I'd point out he's one for 17 at Churchill. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah, so this is the type of horse you want to back wheel, I think, if you can find a, a horse that you like. Uh, your buddy Brad Cox has the number two Froster Frippery at eight to five in here. And this horse previously was 0 for 18 at Churchill, but he's won his last three, which is rare at uh, at his age. But this horse is in good form. I, if if you wanted to maybe try a Superfecta, you could probably pick Froster Frippery on top and then uh, wheel Hawakum in the second, third, and fourth legs of your Superfecta. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit next week as we get into the Ellis Park meet on what to do uh, with these types of uh, Superfecta wagers. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I will have an eye on Hawakum. I'm, I'm not crazy about that morning line at 5-1. to one. That's, a, that's a little low. but uh, Yeah, I thought maybe 10-1. And, and, you know, I like the time off. I think that the older horses love time off and uh, seems to be doing well in the mornings. I mean, the, those works look pretty solid to me. All right, so let's go to race four. This is a two-year-old baby race for a maiden. It's maiden special weight, seventy-nine thousand dollars purse, six furlongs. It's likely Steve Asmussen, who's dominated all the two-year-old races. It seems this meet. He's got uh, he's got two runners in here. Uh, the first one is the number seven Whiskey Double at three to one. It's a son of into mischief. They went to eight hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for this one, and then uh, the nine horse is another into mischief. Uh, for Windstar and the China Horse Racing Club. They went to $400,000 for this one as well. Ricardo Santana chooses the seven horse. Usually he's got his pick of the runners uh, from the Asmussen barn. So I would expect that the seven would be the uh, the better option here. But I'm going to lean toward the five Nautilus for Brad Cox. This is a $130,000 two-year-old purchase for uh for the Mattaquette stables. Uh, he's four to one on the morning line. If you go back and watch his debut effort, he broke from the rail, got out fairly well, but then got shuffled back. Probably, uh, I think he was eighth or ninth early in a, in a field of 11. Uh, he took dirt, made his move around the turn and, and, and closed well to get fourth. And he was running at the end. So that that's some invaluable experience for a two-year-old. And, you know, at four to one, you know, he, he's not going to get bet into the Asmussen horses that much. So I think you could get a good price on him. If, if anything, you might want to box him with the Asmussen horses. I'm definitely going to use him in the pick four. For Sire Cairo Prince, not necessarily known for sprinters, two-year-old sprinters, but I do I do like uh, offspring of the stallion that, that, that make their second start. I've just seen a, a small sample of those runners come back and, and run well uh, after they get uh, the, that maiden start under their belt. Let's go to race five. And this is also a maiden special weight. This is uh, at a at a weird Churchill Downs distance, a mile and three sixteenths on the dirt. You usually don't see that a whole lot. This right. is uh, for older older maidens, three years old and upward. And looks like it's a wide open race. The favorite's probably going to be the three horse Ashyham for uh, Todd Pletcher and Shadwell Stable. 
this guy ran back at the end of May, and he went off six to five and did not live up to the billing. So, uh, Alan, are you uh, are you siding with the favorite here, or are you looking to branch out? I will be branching out. Uh, Ashyham can win the race. There's no question. It's a Tampa out of a wine princess. Uh, isn't that uh, cherry wine? Is that is that the uh, horse that gave us cherry wine? Wine princess. You, she, wine princess is a daughter of Azari. Oh, okay. Uh, that's it. I'm not crazy about the horse here. <laughs> I'm going to the inside. I'm going to the inside with the two to the inside. Uh, Pit boss. Too close to the pace against a much tougher field last time. I think she sits back. Mile and three sixteenths. I don't know if that might be too long for her, but this horse has talent. I'm not sure Pit Boss is going to be five to one. I like her to sit a little more this time, and or he, and make a nice move. And then to the inside, I think the distance does hit Donnie Von Hamel's tonal talitarian right between the eyes. Horses flash talent. Mm-hmm. Just gets going way too late. Gets going, but the blinkers come on. Since the blinkers went on, uh, the horses worked two bullets uh, with five works total. I think this is they've been waiting all meet for this spot. They knew this mile and three sixteenth race was on the on the tab. Um, I think it's what the horse wants. Being out of tonalist by Naples Gold, who I think ran long on the turf out out, out here and won a couple of races. So. I'm going to be focused on the two inside horses, Pit Boss and Tonal Talitarian. I agree with you 100. percent You actually stole my thunder there. That that's Dang. the that's the two that I like. Uh, the I will add on the number two Pit Boss. He was up close to a really fast pace early, and he was between horses. He was in between the uh, the, the winner and the runner up, and uh, those two are really really talented. Probably that the, those two are probably above his pay grade. So I think uh, I think he's allowed to get out and be prominent early going two turns here. I think he's, is is that bodes well for him. Brandon, what are you liking here? You guys nailed it. Totalitarian. I really saw that angle. I definitely with the blinkers on tonalist wants, I mean, they went distance going a mile and three at three sixteenths is deep. Uh, I, I don't see the field having that type of pedigree necessarily, but you know, Ashyham is definitely, you got to recognize the talent there. And I'm going to put something underneath. I'm sure y'all are going to scream about this, but uh, the eight, all about Will at 15 to one with John Court. I get it. John Court's been on this horse a bunch of times, hasn't won yet. But, you know, stretching this horse out on a will take charge, they paid almost a million dollars for this horse. They're taking the blinkers back off. He seems to have done better without blinkers to, you know, to some degree. And I think underneath, that's my underneath play. But I think the one, at, at, I wonder if that morning line will stay at five to one. I'd really like to see it, if, if so. So I, it's funny, all three of us are on it. I hope it works out. Yeah, that th- those horses have no chance now. So you might as well look <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> right, they have the Always here to help. Degree. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's go to race six. Uh, this is... Uh, Interested to hear what uh, Alan, you've got to say here. This uh, this this race uh, bothers me a little bit. It's a it's an allowance race, mile sixteenth on the dirt for fillies and mares, and uh, the favorite is likely to be number six, Paris Lights. She's two to one on the morning line for Belmont. She broke her maiden 
with a plum last time, May 31st, going a mile and 16th. She didn't beat a whole lot. In fact, the third-place finisher, Jewel Princess, came back to finish off the board today on the grass in a, in a watered-down maiden special weight at Churchill today. Uh, Alan, how do you see the uh, the sixth race? I think it's a competitive field. Uh, generally, I don't have strong opinions in races like this where, you know, uh, one ex fillies and mares, especially going short, I rarely care for those races. But going long is a little bit different story. You know, sometimes you see races and you know how the public's going to bet. And, okay, it's like, I know where they're going to gravitate to, so I'm willing to take a stand with the horse a little bit longer price because I know he's, the horse will get semi-ignored. The public will gravitate to Paris Lights off that easy, easy made win stretching out two turns. And rightfully so, the horse is probably going to be about even money, I think, when they go in the gate six to five. Um, definitely could win for fun, could air easily. But I'm kind of leaning towards Dallas Stewart's tipsy gal, a horse I was against last time. Sometimes you got to learn from your mistakes. Um, I did not like the fact that the horse had lost a touch of ground in all three starts uh, prior to her maiden win. I thought uh, the horse just didn't have the heart, was not flashing the talent, uh, living up to the talent that she had flashed despite taking so much money in her first three starts. She proved me wrong in start number four when um, she went seven furlongs. Not only did she not lose ground, she powered away, coming off several nice bullet works leading up to the race. The horse actually got in a lot of little trouble and still is able to uh, kick through. Um, if you look at the Brisnet pace fix, which I pay quite a bit of attention to, the turn time, she's always been very quick on the turn in the middle portion of the race, only to fade ever so slightly late. I like the fact that she finally got that part figured out. Um, again, it's going to have to stretch out mile 16th, uh, but she should be every bit of 6-1, to one, I would say. So I'm willing to take a chance with Dallas Stewart's tipsy gal. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get serious now. We're going to get into the late pick five, and the 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 sequence kicks off with a doozy. This is a five and a half furlong sprint on the grass, eighty-eight thousand dollar allowance race. This is uh, for the for the better turf runners on the grounds, and I think it's wide open. Brandon, Brandon, I think uh, I think you like something in here. What where are you leaning? Well, you know, there's obviously some chalk plays, and, I'm, and we'll cover those. But, I, you know, I, on a turf sprint, to me, there's a, they're all equal. Uh, you've got some turning back in distance. You know, look at Carew's number two at 7-2 to with Corian. Uh, I mean, it went a mile last time on the turf. But beforehand, Ellis sprinted. So uh, you're, not, you're not showing me a lot of form. I, we haven't seen him since 2019. I, I, I don't know what to make of that horse getting that great of a morning line. So I'm actually looking just to the outside there, and I think y'all are going to call me crazy. But Farik, number four, at 20-1 to 1 with Joe Talamo, I really like the, the last time back on the turf. I get it. Not, you know, finished ninth, five links off, never a threat. I think that's a tune-up. I'm going to pray that's a tune-up. Because, you know, you're jumping in a different company of class, non-winners of two. And and you haven't really seen that horse do that because they came from Oakland Park. 
you know, they ran six times at Oaklawn. So I know it's a long shot. I do like Joe Talamo on the mount. And then I'm also going to the six. Will a bled number six. <laughs> well, well abled. Well, well abled. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, with Florent Giroux this looks like a this looks like a definite winner sprinting on turf. You can't knock the form out of a Shackleford, you know, sire. I, I just think the works are are very good. Look at the May 21st at Keeneland. Uh, you know, it hasn't really posted a work after that race, but I mean, man, if you see this horse, uh, this horse should tear it up on the turf going going only five. So those are kind of my top choices. I'm also going to, in any type of turf sprint, I also spread. So that's why I just kind of played those two. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot of different possible angles here. Uh, even the three, Smart Strike, I thought could could be in the money at somehow. Smart so, Remark. Uh, smart Remark, sorry. Yep. At 20 to 1. Drops in class. Came out going a mile. Come back going sprinting. I think that's got better than Farik, actually. Uh, so, you know, take a look there. Well, if I play this pick five, I'm uh... – I'm going to spread out very deep. I may use every one of them in here because this uh, this this thing could go a lot of different ways. The, there's a lot of speed in here. Uh, I used your horse Farik last time in the pick four, and he did not get off to a very good start. Looking back through his PPs, he almost seems like he needs to have the lead in order to to run well. So he's going to be up against it here with a lot of speed to his outside with Well Abled and and Captain Scotty and and Caratari and and some of these others. So. Uh, for me, there's nine entries in the race. I'm going to use probably every one of them in the pick five because there's there's spots you can single later, and probably one of those spots is in the next race. It's the uh, it's the two year old uh, centerpiece of the spring meeting. It's the uh, Bastard Manor Stakes, six furlongs on the dirt for the two year olds, and there's probably going to be a heavy favorite in here. Number six Casadero for Steve Asmussen and Stone Street Stables. Ricardo Santana has the mount. This horse won easily in his debut on may 29th going five furlongs alan uh do, would you agree that this horse is a standout uh yeah yeah i'd like to go elsewhere but if you saw that you saw that debut the horse uh battled a little bit and just kicked away uh massively uh going five furlongs which is a a, a a good thing because they're going six days maybe a half furlong more than some of these other horses have went and the way she, uh, the way he kicked away. Makes you think the six prongs be no problem. I, I don't. There's some nice runners in here. I don't know how you get away from uh, Casadero. The damn Wild Games was a crack sprinter, by the way, too. Made a lot of money. I can't remember if that was Asmussen or not. I don't <laughs> think it was Asmussen. Was it but, Ben Perkins? Uh, maybe. Yeah, Ben. Per- you're right, Ben Perkins. Uh, horses are very. I might even want to. Maybe a grade three, grade two, or multiple ones. Yeah. It's. I expect this horse to win at short odds. I expect when they open up, this horse might open up. If you're trying to make some money, put a horse with it. I might throw in um, the hyper focus for Todd Pletcher. It's a, it's a constitution. They like to win early. And uh, I saw the horse's debut at Gulfstream. And the horse got off to a bit of a flat-footed start like a lot of Pletchers do. And uh, you know, once he was able to get into gear, get his footing, he drew away uh, powerfully. Not, not impressed. Not that elite turn of foot, but kind of a grinding turn of foot. And – 
I would not be surprised if it was uh, Casadero followed by Hyperfocus getting second, maybe third. But I, I, I think this is kind of a chalky version of the Bachelor Manor. Brandon, do you agree? Extreme, extremely chalky. I would put the underneath this county uh, finale. finale. And, uh, I mean, that's all. That That's it. That's a stamp. Give me the six. Single. Craig, I like your play going all in the turf sprint. You got to spread in turf sprint. Uh, you know, the Oxbow, I, I, you know, number seven, I, I just, I, at six to one, it's worth a play. But Casadero is definitely the class, the very big class. Uh, going back to, yeah, to Casadero, if you turn back to the fourth race, that maiden special weight, uh, Nautilus ran fourth yes. to Casadero. So that, that, that might be your first key. If Nautilus run comes back and runs well, I think uh, you need to lean heavily heavily on the on your favorite Casadero in the Bashford Manor. So let's go to race nine, uh, another a great old stakes race at Churchill, the Fleur de Lee. This is a mile and eight for fillies and mares. And we are lucky because we get to see one of the best horses in training here, Midnight Basu, who last seen, when last seen, ran second in the $20 million Saudi Cup in Saudi Arabia behind maximum security. Uh, and she returns to the U.S., and Mike Smith has flown in to ride. Steve Aspuson says she's one of the best horses in training, if not the best horse in training. And Brandon, are you going to single Midnight Basu, or, or are there other options in this race? Well, my first love was always Serengeti Empress, but you're right. I, I remember watching the Saudi Cup at a friend of mine's house and, you know, having maximum security win and then that, all the question marks around that horse and how it was treated and handled there, uh, you know, obviously is an issue. But Midnight Pursuit definitely did great job. I can't believe it was February. That's how long ago that horse was seen. But uh, I, I'm never a single. I want I want to see these two duel, and then I'm going to play Go Google Yourself <laughs> underneath. So uh, I think at a, a Churchill Go Google Yourself actually gets in the money a lot of times. Wants a lot of money at Churchill. Sneaky horse. I've always thought sneaky. I don't care about the Oakland form at all. I throw it out. And so I think returning to Churchill, she'll have a she'll have a good race. So, you know, it, it, that's chalky. But you know what? It's it's great to see th- those two horses going to duel, and with uh, you know go go gear, go Google yourself underneath. All right, Alan. Uh, like Brandon said, Serengeti Empress uh, presents a challenge to the to the heavy favorite. This is the Kentucky Oaks winner from last year, and she uh, she got caught up in a really fast pace last time in the apple blossom, and then that took its toll on her. Actually, never did make it to the lead that time, which is uh, rare for the speedy filly. Uh, looks like she's a lone leader here. Alan, you think uh, she's got a shot to up in the the heavy choice here? Yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on Midnight Beast to win the race, but there's a scenario, and I think it's going to be obvious to everyone how Midnight Bisu loses the race, and that's if Serengeti Empress not only returns to the form, but, but guns it out of the gate and opens up, not just gets the lead, but opens up, plays catch me if you can. And down the stretch, she just has too much left for Midnight Bisu to catch. I don't think that'll happen, 
I think Midnight Beast was just far too classy. That said, it can't happen because I think Tom Amos was a little ticked last time that uh, Serengeti Epperis did not get the lead, that Talamo did not get the lead. That will not happen this time. She's going to punch the gas, play catch with the can. And one thing I think you could say that if Serengeti Epperis does win, Midnight Beast will run second and that uh, the class may not get her past the speedy winner, but it will get her second. That said, Midnight Beast who wins, Serengeti Empress does not necessarily have to run second. I know that sounds like a, a lot of gobbledygook, but Serengeti Empress, uh, if she quits, she could quit. How I'm going to play right. the race is Midnight Beast who, and I'm going to use at 50 to 1 Red Dane underneath, um, oh. maybe in the third or fourth spot. Uh, I think that last race by Red Dane. She's not going to be 50 to one in here. I don't believe And And again, she's 50 to one to win. She's five to one to run third. Um, that was a big race against Monomoy girl last time. She went right by miss Bigley. Who's a pretty nice Michelle of L horse. Uh, usually when LaPresse gets them good, it's a sign of things that come for one or two more races. I think he was pointing to this spot. Maybe to get some graded stakes earnings uh, or some black type for this horse. Cause all the horse has to do is run third and gets the black type for this, uh, for this six-year-old mare. Uh, I, by no means do I think the horse is a threat to win. I think the horse can get into the Superfecta. It still may not pay a whole heck of a lot. But I will take Serengeti Empress with Midnight Bisu with Red Dane third and fourth. But the primary bet will be Midnight Bisu to win and Red Dane in the three-four spot. Alan, that's, that's great. I mean, man, that's a good angle. I appreciate you saying that because I love to win that. first. Right, right. <laughs> you know, the only last thing I would say before I turn it back to Craig, you know, Serengeti Empress on June 10th at Churchill went 57 and four on five furlongs. And it wasn't the fastest of the day. We need to find out who the fastest of the day was. <laughs> but that's that is lying. Yeah. Lying. Hey, no problem. No problem. I like to hear you guys talk. Uh, let's turn the. Let's go now to the feature on the card, the grade two. I don't know why it's a grade two when I read off this list of past know, champions of the race, but it's a $500,000 race, mile and eighth on the turf. And like I said before, this is the 39th running of this event. And listen listen to this uh, list of winners. Gunrunner, Fort Larned, Blame, Curlin, St. Liam, Perfect Drift, Street Cry, Victory Gallop, Awesome Again. Black tie affair. You're talking about some of the best horses that have uh, ever looked through a bridle over the last 25, 30 years. And for some reason, this race is a grade two. Nonetheless, it's a it's an exciting rendition of the race. Uh, probably the best, some of the best uh, older horses in training are in here. Tom's Data, one of the, one of my favorites, uh, is even money on the morning line. He's 10 out of 17 lifetime, and he's currently riding a three race win streak. He's only run once this year. That was at Oaklawn, uh, in the Oaklawn Mile, where he beat Improbable, and Improbable came back to win the Santa Anita Handicap in his next start. So, Tom's Detail, obviously uh, the one to beat. Uh, Brandon, can we upset Tom's Detail? I think I know where you're leaning, though. I've got some crazy questions about an entry here, and I need some explanation. So, I'm going to leave it open to you, too. Okay. Why are you shipping Multiplier? after a June 20th race, all the way across to Churchill Downs. Never raced before. What is Peter Miller doing? 
explain. Go, go ahead, CC. Well, I will say this. I, Peter Miller, now his, his techniques are questionable. I don't want to go into that today. But he's politically correct. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> he's yeah, he's been around a long time. He he was assistant to Charlie Whittingham back in the day, so he knows his way around the horse. There's no doubt about that. I, I kind of consider it a positive when a a an experienced trainer is okay with turning up uh, with a quick turnaround. So whether or not you like the horse. They're not going to ship this horse unless he's doing well, because it, you know, whatever it costs to ship a horse across the country, you know, ten thousand dollars maybe, I don't know, but they're not going to, they're not going to ship him here just to run fifth or sixth. So I, the horse is doing well now. The, to me, the question is, does he fit at this level? And you know, what's a seven-day turnaround cross-country flight going to do to him? I don't, I don't have a problem with the turnaround, but like, like I, I, I just think he's a cut below some of these. Yeah, I agree. So, but I just had to point it out because I've I've always loved this horse. I mean, what is he? Nine years old? Six? Feels like he's nine. Anyway, yeah, that, he's that's been true. around a long time. But I definitely, by my standards, is my top pick. And then I obviously want to follow with Owendale because I just think Owendale's in great form. I really do. He gets a great rider, and and I'm going to put Multiply under underneath. I know that's a whole lot to kind of say in the in the podcast, but you know Tom Zietai obviously is going to be there. I mean, great horse. There's nothing you can say that he's done wrong. I mean, he's won the last three races. So anyone, the Clark. I mean, does he repeat? It looks like it. Okay, but at the same time, by my standards, ran a great race at Oakland last. I mean, a phenomenal race. So. Uh, those two will probably take off and, and go head-to-head coming down the stretch. It'll be an exciting race either way. I'm kind of just watching. There's not really a way to make money here. I don't see. Uh, I will play multiplier, though. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Alan? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of piggybacking what Brandon said a little bit, too. I don't know if there's a way to make a lot of money in this race. You theoretically could. Uh, it looks like a three-horse race on paper. I mean, both all three horses – have shown out, so to speak, in 2020 so far. Uh, they're classy individuals. Um, Tom Zeta, by my standards, and Owendale, obviously, who I'm talking about. Um, hard, hard to knock their comeback races, their most recent races. It's, it's splitting hairs to me. I guess if you held a gun to my head, I'm taking Tom Zeta because I love that horse to win. I've always felt this horse is Breeders' Cup classic material. Al Stahl's done a good job of spacing these races out in his seven-year career. He's the kind of horse that can stalk the pace and then confident or confidently be slingshotted off the rail uh, to pass seven horses in the blink of an eye down the stretch. Um, it's Miguel Mena this time, who I love, replacing Joel Rosario. I'd love to see Mena get this win. I'm, I guess I have to give Tom Zeta a slightest of edges over both by my standards and Owendale. I could see maybe wheeling Owendale in the two spot because he's going to be coming late. Maybe he doesn't catch them all. But uh, I do think those three are above the rest. It's not to say someone else cannot get into the trifecta, the superfecta. But, and you know, Alcatam's in the race. I love Alcatam. Uh, just yeah. not in this spot. Uh, but give me Tom's day tall by the narrowest of margins. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with you. you like you said, you got to give a huge shout out to, to Al Stahl Jr. Uh, in, in keeping this horse together over his long career. This horse, uh, he, we talked last week about Wise Dan and, and how he brought it every single time. I think this horse is in the, kind of in the same boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with he, he doesn't have the, uh, the grade one mantle that Wise Dan does, although he did win the Clark last, uh, last fall. Uh, I think, uh, just the way Stahl has handled him, I think, I think he's going to come up to his best effort. There are, uh, like you said, though, there, there's, there's a few in here that could challenge him. I, I, I like Owendale a lot. His last race, he, he came from off the pace to win at a flat mile and he paired up his three-year-old top and that's the sign of a healthy horse. And I think he's probably going to move forward here. So it would be no shock if he were to win the race. Uh, same way with by my standards, he's, he's obviously moving forward. Uh, and you know, that, that, that last effort in the uh, Oakland handicap was, uh, stamped him as one of the best horses in the country. Uh, I like those three. If you want to look at a horse, maybe underneath to use, I would consider pirates punch for Grant Forster. Uh, he was a victim of a really, really ridiculously wide trip at Oakland back on Arkansas Derby day. Uh, he, he ran third, but he was four wide all the way around the track. So I think there's a good chance we will see him on the lead early. Now, late, I don't think he can hang with the best horses in here. But, you know, if you're playing super effective, this is the type of horse you just punch in there third and fourth and uh, and he'll win. But Or, excuse me, you'll, you'll, you'll cash. Uh, but for me, it's Tom's Detail and Owendale are the two I like the best. And, you know, I'll, I'll definitely use by my standards in the, in the, in the late pick five. So let's, uh, let's go to the last race on the card on Stephen Foster Saturday. And that is the regret stakes. And this is a mile and eighth on the turf for three-year-old Phillies. And it's a good, good race to close out the card. I think there's, there's a few ways you can go here. The favorite is going to be likely number five, crystal cliffs, Grand Motion, and Johnny Velasquez is, is riding. Uh, Alan, I think you've probably got a strong opinion in here. Who, who do you like in the uh, in the finale? You know what? It's strong opinions are always a relative term depending on the, the field, the price, a lot of different things. You're right, though. I do kind of have one of those. I think Crystal Cliffs is going to be really tough to beat. That that last, I guess you'd call it prep for this race, was impressive for Grand Motion. I think in good spirits is going to be dangerous on the lead because there's not a lot of pace in this race. So I think those two figure big, but I'm going with the five horse Michelin. Uh, six Michael, horse. I'm sorry, the six horse. Thank you. Uh, for Michael Stidham, who's overdue a win here towards the end of the meet with his horses run well. He just hasn't been able to get the window circle. And Joe Bravo comes in town to ride this horse. Uh, we're going a mile and eighth here. There will be a little bit of speed up front, not a bunch. This horse can lay mid-pack, 7th, 8th. Since the addition of blinkers for this Godolphin 3-year-old filly, uh, the horse's late pace figs have skyrocketed. Uh, she's consistently, if you go back at Tampa Gulfstream, 99, 91, 91, 100 late pace figs since the blinkers were added four starts ago. Now, there was one bad race in there, the Florida Oaks, but she was hung four wide in a fast pace but still held on evenly to not lose any ground in the stretch. I like that. Um, I think the horse has a strong closing kick. Uh, eight to one. I'm not sure she'll be eight to one. It'd be close to eight to one. 
I think this horse has a legitimate chance to pass them all late. I like the nine furlongs, and I will be playing Michelin possibly as a single to end a small pick four. I don't think the pick, well, I don't think the pick four can pay a whole heck of a lot, so I might just try to hit one one horse harder in uh, one of the non-favorite races that I expect Tom Zaytal and Midnight Bisu and Serengeti Empress to make up the bulk of it. So you need to find a price somewhere to make it pay if you're going to bet a little money on it. I'll, I'll go with Michelin and be content to uh, take a stand at seven or eight to one with that horse. Brandon, make us some money. <laughs> this is a stretch. But if you look at the two, his glory, you're claiming off of, of Cox and previous to Tom Amos. So actually Joe Sharp comes in and starts to own his own horse here outright for the claim of he paid 50. And so I thought maybe this thing could get in the money on the turf. I mean, you've got Brian Hernandez who seems to always upset me when I least expect it. <laughs> Do I think the speed figures are there? No, not necessarily. You can't get much off of this. You know, you can get percentages off a claim. First off claim, 20%. You know, third off uh, of a layoff, even 24%. So, horse have been, I, I wouldn't call it a layoff to be laid off almost two months, but that's just me. Uh, I do like it. Uh, that's what I would kind of go as one. But Crystal Cliffs, obviously, is, is, a, is a fan favorite to me. Uh, love Johnny V on the turf. That guy, I mean, it could be a single. If, if I get creative that day, though, I will stretch and I will cover the two a whole lot. I just think there's something about this one. Uh, maybe not in the best. It's never been really put in decent. I mean, one time on turf. You only get one chance on the turf and he wins by a neck. Let's see what else he can do. That's what I, that's what I think. The, the combination of the claim and coming off the claim, I, I, I'd love to see this horse do something fun and upset a big, big field. Okay, well, I'll wrap it up here. I, I like uh, I like uh, Crystal Cliffs, like you said, and the Michelin. I would give a slight nod, maybe to In Good Spirits, the four horse morning line eight to one. This is for Al Stahl. She made her three year old debut last time in the Teppan Stakes and set a moderate pace and gave way late, but you know she did get beat by uh, Sharing, who who showed up next in at Royal Ascot and raced uh, finished second in the Coronation Stakes there. So. You know, that's top-class company. I, I think maybe uh, going a little bit further, she might just get out there and get into to a, a, a rhythmic early beat and just uh, maybe put these fillies to sleep on the front end. I agree. End. You know, that, I've seen that before. You know, you would think she faded going a mile, a flat mile last time. Why would she improve going longer? Well, you know, I've seen it time and time again. The, these fillies will get out on the lead, and, and they'll break the hearts of the ones behind them. So – you know, I, I, I like her a lot. And then I would also give a nod to Dominga, who's 5-1 to one on the morning line. I don't quite get that. She's okay. She's, you know, she's there's nothing special about her. But if you go back and watch that last trip in the same race as uh, In Good Spirits, she she, uh, she found a lot of traffic trouble early and never really had a clean run. I, I don't think she'll be 5-1. to one. I mean, she was 17-1 to one last time. I don't know why she would uh, she'd be 5-1 to one in, in what could be a tougher spot. But uh, I will use those two along with uh, Michelin and Crystal Cliffs. But uh, that's enough horse racing for now. Let's uh, let's get into something more fun. Like, oh, no. uh, yeah, Stephen Foster trivia. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, 
in addition to the uh, the great Stephen Foster handicap we, we get to uh, watch this weekend, we celebrate the life of Stephen Foster. So I've got a few questions here for you guys, and uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll give you a point for each one you answer. Uh, Brandon, are you cool with that? All right, I'll I'll shoot. <laughs> well, you sound you sound confident, so we're going to go with you first. Uh, of course, there you go. Yeah, so uh, here's your, here's your question, Brandon. You ready? Sure. Which Auxiliary Gate podcast host worked at the Stephen Foster story in Bardstown, the musical? Uh, I'm gonna say CC Broadus. You're right. You get a point. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I worked there in the mid '90s at one summer. It was it was great. I was a parking attendant. It was the easiest hundred dollars a week I ever made. All right, Alan, are you ready? No, you you probably would do real well if this. We were quizzing you on this, wouldn't you? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, this is my life. Yeah. We're talking about. All right, Alan. For one point, where is my old Kentucky home? Uh, well, what city, I'm... What city is my old Kentucky oh. home? Oh, uh, I should know that. Uh, Bardstown. Very good. You got a point. You got a point. Yay. All right. So it's tied up. It's one to one. To one. We're going to go to question three, and that's Brandon. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. What was Stephen Foster's net worth when he died? You have I to be exact. That. You have to be exact. Can I take it if he doesn't get it? Yes, you get to steal. I would say zero. You're close, but Alan gets to steal. He's got to get it exactly right. 38 cents. Very good. You got it. You got How? it. That's two points. How do you come up with 38 cents? It's 38 cents. He died with 38 cents in his pocket, and then, like, he found, uh, they found a, a, yeah, a gum wrapper. A, a penny for every year he was lived on the earth or something like that, as I recall. Right. That's good. That's good. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, all right, Alan, you can, you can take a commanding lead here if you'll answer this question correctly. What state was Stephen Foster born in? I believe he was not born in Kentucky, contrary to what people believe. I think he was born in Pennsylvania. Very good. That's three. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, you're you're in trouble. You're in trouble, man. You got to answer the last two correctly. All right, I'm double or nothing. All right, so here we go. This is easy. This is an easy question. Not only did Stephen Foster write the state song of Kentucky. He also penned the official song of another state. Brandon, what state was that? I'll get it. He doesn't want it. <laughs> he was a songwriter, composer. Yeah, very good. Uh, but that's all I really knew. I would say New York. No, that is incorrect. Can Alan, I go? Yes. I'm flying here in the morning. Florida. Very good. Yes, Florida is correct. Florida oh, is correct. Anyone listening to Kentucky goes to Florida. <laughs> Swanee Sweet River. Songs. Way down yeah. way down upon the Swanee River. It's like he came back to life. <laughs> All right. It's four to one. Brandon, I'm going to give this last one to you because I know you don't have any chance. Give me a softball here. This is not a softball. This is actually the hardest question of all of them. Which American musician frequently used Stephen Foster's Hard Times Come Again No More as a concert encore? 
What is this, Jeopardy? Mm. This is the Auxiliary this, Podcast. This is hard. This is a hard name. This, one, this one's tough. I, I didn't know this either. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I'm embarrassed to even guess. John Millen cast. Nope. All right. All right. So either neither one of you? No. Uh, okay, it's Bruce Springsteen. Oh, oh God. I was going to say it. Really? That's great it. Great model, great model American of the of everything, but he's a Hoosier guy, Indiana guy. That's Mellencamp. Yeah. That's Mellencamp. That's he's a Jersey right. guy, Never right? Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you get a chance, look it up on YouTube. It, it's it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. neat. All right, so that's that's it for uh, this Saturday, uh, guys. I appreciate you you chiming in and. And for the listeners out there, appreciate you uh, taking your taking time to listen to us, and we hope hope you all have some uh, luck this Saturday. Hope you enjoy the weekend. And uh, anything else you guys want to add? Uh, Ellis Park starts next week. We'll be talking about that. And again, as as CC said, we appreciate anybody and everybody that listens. And I believe there's a, a Facebook page, correct, uh, that you started, CC? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like us on Facebook. Uh, there'll be details of that coming soon. But yeah, yeah, like us on Facebook, and uh, we'll we'll greatly appreciate it as we uh, as we move along through the summer here. So, uh, on behalf of Alan and Brandon, we'll uh, see you next week. And do what you feel, and keep both feet on the wheel. <laughs> nice. <laughs>